0: Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, member of Melvin's, Nirvana, Off, Crystal Fairy, Fecal Matter, played with Hank Williams the Third, Phantomas, Acid King, Alamont, the list just goes on and 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 on. It is Dale motherfucking Kroeber from Melvin's Give It Up.
1: Are you guys in six feet worth of
0: snow right now? Well, surprisingly for the end of January, we have pretty much no snow right now. So I guess it's a good and a bad thing because I'm a skier. So I'd like to go out to the mountains, but there's not a whole hell of a lot of snow out there right now. So,
1: Right.
0: How's everything down there, though? uh,
1: Going well. I I, I won't... uh... I won't brag and tell you that it's like 84 degrees here then. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. uh, it's somewhat unusual for, for this time of the year, but, uh, you know, I guess that's why we live here. So it's nice out. Uh, and that's about all what's going on <laughs> really. You know?
0: Well, how was your pandemic been? Have you, have you been able to stay busy this entire time?
1: Uh, well, I haven't been able to tour and that's been the the main thing, you know, I would have been this last year, I would have been on tour with Red Cross for most of the year. We had plans to go to Europe and then we would have been doing a U.S. tour, hopefully coming up to Canada too. Um, So that all, you know, got shit canned. And then uh, the solo record was supposed to come out in the end of summer. And then I was going to try to do some touring on that in the fall you know, as much as I could. Um, so, you know, that, that all uh, didn't happen. And um, for at least the first couple of months, we were on pretty heavy lockdown. Didn't really see or, or do, see anybody or do anything much at all. And it's still pretty much locked down here. Uh, you know, for a while, the restaurants came back, though they only had outdoor dining. Uh, and then since the spike it's been happening here, everything's pretty much shut down, and they're telling people to you know basically stay home. We can go outside, walk around uh you can play golf or tennis <laughs> or ride your bike or walk your dog, but otherwise you know yeah, it's not a lot going on
0: well, speaking of the new album ha- did you have a lot of this written since the last uh the last album that came out in twenty seventeen The fickle Finger of Fate?
1: Yeah, I started writing probably even before that record came out, slowly when I had the chance. Uh, and this this would have been uh, yeah, this I was already planned and and uh, going to be happening before the whole pandemic thing uh, happened at all. Um, so yeah, uh, but yeah, been keeping busy. Other other than that, um, you know, the Melvins have been doing a, a, a bunch of recordings, and then also. We have a new record coming out next month, too. That one we were working on when the pandemic hit. And that's, that's the one that's coming out. It's Melvin's in 1983. And, um, that's the version of the band that has, uh, the original drummer in it. And so I played bass. And we had to hurry, hurry, and get, uh, uh, Mike, the drummer, to get his tracks done and send him home because I was right when, when the shit was going down. Uh, you know, and then we, we, uh, Worked on it, you know, when I could. Um, then there's also uh, uh, more recently we've done this Melvin's TV thing. I don't know if we got a chance to see that, but we had a thing that aired on on uh, New Year's Eve. I
0: I did. I fucking loved it. It was it was cool. sweet. So how, so how many more of these are you guys going to end up doing? Do you are do we have well, a number even in mind?
1: Yeah, we don't really. We've got enough for three. And the next one will be out on Valentine's Day <laughs> Valentine's Day uh, episode perfect and
0: perfect my, episode yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so uh, my solo band gets to open that one so we're going to play a couple songs and then there'll be a Melvin set so that'll be kind of at least for right now the extent of any kind of touring I can do to support the uh, solo record you yeah, know unfortunately but well you know, <laughs> we'll get through this eventually, I hope, get back to work. A lot
0: of people are calling this new solo album from you this 60s pop and 70s arena rock. I kind of have to disagree with that, because to me, this feels like the kind of album that you would walk into this cool underground jazz club and you would be sitting behind the kit and be like, "Oh shit, Dale's playing!" And oh shit, this is like some really cool rock meets jazz stuff in my mind. Were you listening to a lot of like jazz during this record during recording this, or wh- what was your headspace like when you were thinking about this album?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would say. Probably, because we listen to Miles Davis constantly, <laughs> so I'm sure that, that could seep in. Um, I mean, and depending on the song, too, you know, I mean, I could tell you what influenced what, you know, like uh, 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 certainly the more experimental stuff, uh, like the album opener, I mean, sure that that's it's like, yeah, almost weirdo jazz type of stuff for sure. Um, and the type of yeah, the type of stuff I do listen to is usually. Like, I really like the 70s Miles, Miles Davis stuff, experimental stuff, you know? But um, I don't know. Is there one song you're pointing to in particular? I
0: just felt like the, the whole the album, ten? it was just like the feel of the album to me as a whole. Had this just, like, huh. cool underground, like, jazz vibe to it. And, yeah, there was definitely some, some, like, big rock elements to it and some really catchy, like, pop hooks. But I just feel like there was this underlying, like, really cool you're in a jazz club feel the whole time. I loved it. I thought it was a really fucking cool album.
1: Thanks. And I'll take that for sure. (laughs) Because uh, I would agree with you more in that way, especially, yeah, I mean, especially with like the, some of the drum tracks that are uh, 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 definitely more experimental and yeah, definitely leaning to that jazz side, I would say.
0: Yes. Well, Getting Mindy and Dan in the band as well, was this, was this something that you were trying to get in, or was this like kind of recommendations from, uh, from Tashi?
1: Oh, to have them play on the record? Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, I mean, it, it just started with me and Toshi, really. And then from there, I got those guys to play on it. Um, Mindy plays, she does, she's mostly the live drummer when we play live. But she did play drums a little bit on this record, and then I also made her play saxophone on one of the songs. Um, the reason I got her in, in the band was because I knew that she could play multiple instruments. You know, she played drums. She's in this really cool band that we actually brought to Calgary with this last time called Boggs, and uh, they switch off with instruments. Like, Mindy plays drums and then either plays bass and guitar. Uh, so I knew, you know live. We could do any, any number of things like that. Like if I wanted to jump behind the drum kit or whatever. Um, and then Steve McDonald played the majority of the bass on the whole record. Um, last record, I know I played some bass, but I didn't do any of it on this record. Steve played almost every song. Um, and then Dan Southwick played bass on one song. So, and then majority is me. Um, but yeah, a little bit more of the band mixed in this time for sure. Um, but yeah, you know, and since I'm the drummer, too, I, I mean, a drummer, known as a drummer. I, like <laughs> well, I should probably be playing drums. Yeah. I, I, I'm a little <laughs> curious,
0: though. What, do you prefer to play the drums? Do you prefer to write on the bass or the guitar or, or even the piano? What When you sit down to write, what are you primarily writing on?
1: Mostly guitar. If it's like a regular song, like any of the regular songs in this one, <laughs> guitar, sometimes bass. Um, but not on this record Um and then definitely all the little drum bits are starting the drums you know a lot of um the last record I had some drum bits as well but I didn't really add to them this time I took the drum bits and then added other instruments on top of them you know either electric sitar or just vocal or other weird stuff you know not necessarily guitar or, or anything that's like uh Regular, I guess <laughs> I mean, I wasn't trying to make those songs Any kind of regular songs But that's probably where the, you know If there was a jazz influence That would definitely be without the came from For sure, you know
0: Well, what would you say that you've learned the most Through five decades in the business now?
1: <laughs> what I've learned the most <laughs> Um uh, enjoy every sandwich. Uh, always have a good time every time. Um, no, let me see. If I can come up with my own quote. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, I mean, certainly we've learned a lot over the over that amount of time, especially um, in the recording department too. You know, um, um, I guess to to never give up, really. You know, don't quit, um, and we never did. And I'm glad. I'm glad that we haven't. Uh, we pretty much burned every bridge, uh, so there was there was no way we could quit. <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> well, do you find yourself coming into the, like producing an album? It's, it's easier at this point, or do you feel? Or do you still feel like you're? a little bit nervous when you go in there and, and you're still like kind of learning some stuff when you, when you step into a record studio every time.
1: Well, you know, when we were making records early on, they were for like little budget and we didn't have much time and we had to hurry up and, and make the record and, and get out of there. <clears throat> um, you know, nowadays, um, we own the studio and so it's easy, easy to, uh, uh it, it, we, make, we make records pretty much where we rehearse. So uh, it's much easier now to just like sit there, write a song, and work on it for a while, and then actually start to record it right there and then, rather than how it used to be to where we would have to, you know, learn all, all of our songs that we're going to go and record. That, you know, enough songs to make a record and make sure everything was well rehearsed before we went. So I guess that's the difference now. Um, it's, it's easier in that respect for sure. And certainly more comfortable when you're not worrying about time or money being on the clock, you know? Um, and I think it's allowed us to be just that, yeah, I mean, to be way more relaxed about things. Um, I mean, I really love recording. It, it's, it's fun, fun time, you know? That, that's what's changed for sure is that what used to be sort of something that was, you know, stressful and unknown is, is now, um, much more comfortable and uh, and and much more fun, and I think that's allowed us to be and myself to be way more creative too. Yeah. And then also having somebody like Toshi, who's just really good. He's a really good engineer. Um, I I don't have to worry about anything, you know, about how it's going to sound or, or or I just let him do his thing, you know, because he's he's really good at that, better than I am. You know, I might suggest things to him, but I, I pretty much let him do his thing.
0: Well when you go to a, a new venue or a new city do you find yourselves looking for certain things in the room that you're going to play and and what you need to tweak or do you have like kind of this log log book and you kind of know what you're going to get into every city that you're that you essentially end up at or is it really case in point every single time that you walk into a new venue you're trying to figure out the acoustic here to here and and all that kind of stuff.
1: No, I'm not worried about it too much. I mean, we've played, you know, a billion shows now to where we'll just go in and sound check and make sure it sounds as good as we can get it there and then deal with it, you know? Uh, and it doesn't seem to matter if there's a, a club with an amazing PA system or a club with a completely crappy-looking, shitty PA system you know the the shitty place might sound absolutely amazing and vice versa you know <laughs> it doesn't seem to matter you know uh, but we're pros and and we we're, we're good at get, getting by and um you know don't really require a lot for for lives i mean we're probably one of the easiest bands to work with probably in every aspect <laughs> of what we do you know um we're professionals like i said we've been doing this uh, quite a while
0: <laughs> well you also have these two um vinyl reissues coming out for the melvins as well the uh gluey yeah. porch treatments and hostile ambient takeover are we gonna see more and more reissues coming out through Ipecac?
1: oh maybe you know like hostile didn't really have a 12 inch vinyl release when it came out um that it came, when that came out, it was like right before people started really caring about vinyl again, you know. At least the majority of people. So it it came out uh, on a weird format. It was like a, a 12 inch or a, sorry a 7 inch for every song, and then a B side on each one. So it's never had its own proper 12 inch release. And then Gluey, it was probably just you know I'm trying to think, but I don't think it's had. There's been reissues of it, but I don't know that we've much been in control of it, at least for vinyl. And I don't know that it's had its own single vinyl release in a while, too. So they look nice. I just got copies of it myself a couple of days ago and um, haven't played.
0: How much are you in the vinyl um, like process? Are you really involved? Or is this more like a buzz thing when it comes to all these vinyl, vinyl reissues, vinyl pressings? and even the AMRAP stuff that comes out?
1: Uh, I mean, as far as making it, those guys, you know, all the stuff that's like um, the handmade stuff, uh, Buzz and his wife do the majority of that. Um, Tom Hazelmeyer, AMRAP, does a lot of that stuff too. And just, yeah, really nice printing, nice packaging. Those guys take care of most of that stuff for sure. You know, it's good stuff too. I mean... I, though I don't listen to a lot of vinyl, I, I, I still like it. I like the way it looks, and we're trying to make collectible stuff, you know. That's nice packaging, and that was the thing about vinyl that I always liked was, and this is being able to look at stuff, look at the artwork, look at the uh, uh, lyrics or credits or any of that kind of stuff, you know.
0: Well, what what format so, do you find yourself going to the most to listen to your music then?
1: iTunes. You know, it's hard to play records in the car; they skip. <laughs> 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 so, you know, and I do a lot of listening in the car. Um, I mean, I have a you know I have a stereo in the house um, and a turntable and stuff like that. But you know, for the most part, yeah, I mostly just play it off of my phone onto some sort of of uh, uh, um, uh, Bluetooth speaker, usually. You know, and I don't mind. I mean. Gr- Growing up, I, I had I had nothing but shitty stereos, <laughs> you know. So I, I have a better system now than I probably did when I was growing up.
0: Well, what what kind of music was getting played around your house when you were growing up? Did did your parents always have music playing?
1: No, no, not at all. I think, um, um not really. The only thing I really remember them playing was like a, uh, um, um, Glenn Miller record, you know. But I have older, older brothers that had Beatles and Monkees records. So that's, I heard that stuff. That's where I got my, that's where I got my rock. <laughs> and then,
0: well, then you had bands like The Wipers that were kind of around where you were growing up. Were you like really gravitating towards these kind of bands happening in, in the Pacific Northwest? Or was it more just like the bigger national or even international kind of stuff that you were trying to get your hands on?
1: Uh, well, I didn't really know about the Wipers until after I joined the Melfins. Um, Aberdeen it was a completely isolated town. Um, there was uh, you know, a few record stores there, but not really. Um, and you'd be lucky to find anything that was uh, uh, as underground as, as that there. You'd have to go to like Olympia to, to find those records. So... Um, I mean, before I joined the Melvins, I was into uh, 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 somewhat obscure heavy metal stuff, um, you know, obscure for Aberdeen. And I'm, I'm talking about bands that were um, new wave of British heavy metal bands like Raven or even like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. Before those bands got really popular, I was into those bands. And they were they were sort of like <clears throat> underground bands, really, you know, considering considering the area, I mean, you know, uh, uh, most people were into um, you know fucking Journey or REO Speedwagon or, or shit <laughs> like that, you know, and and you know that that's what that's what my high school was like. Oh, Death Leopard. Oh, cool. Like, oh, I don't like that stuff, you know. Or even even ACDC was so popular, but I'd already had Kiss. So by that point, I, I wasn't really, you know, I wanted something that was a little, uh, a little, a little more wild, <laughs> you know. Even though I appreciate that stuff now, you know, I was looking for something that was a little bit different. So, funny enough, that the Melvins came along at the time that they did, you know. I might have been stuck playing in, in, a, in a fucking speed Speedwagon cover band or something at the at the Holiday Inn.
0: <laughs> well, did you know from an early age that? You wanted to be a musician, or did this just kind of fall into oh, place?
1: Yeah. No, I knew in grade school. It was because of Kiss, you know. Uh, after I saw Kiss on the call-in Halloween special, that was it for me. I knew what I wanted to do, you know. <clears throat> um, the cowboy thing wasn't working out at that age either, so, you know, I thought maybe I had a chance playing drums. <laughs>
0: Did did you watch that uh, Kiss New Year's Eve special?
1: Oh, I saw a little bit of it. I didn't see the whole thing, but I watched a little bit of it on YouTube. Did, did you watch it? What did you think?
0: Excuse me, I actually didn't <laughs> watch it. Oh, okay. um, I was well, I was watching you guys. <laughs> I watched the no, Melvin. Right I, I watched the Melvins and Devo that night instead. So. Oh,
1: nice.
0: I was. Uh, I yeah. Mean,
1: I you know. I'd still go see them, I guess, but uh, but we got to play with them when they did that their first reunion tour, so that was really cool, you know, it, it, was, it was very cool considering that was the first concert I ever went to, like a real big concert, was, was uh, Kiss, so the fact that we actually got to play with them after that was, was um, pretty cool, you know, <laughs> it was fun, and they were nice, <laughs> and Gene still nice, like, but... <laughs>
0: The the majority of shows that you that you went to as a kid did you have to drive to Seattle or or was a lot of stuff uh, stopping much. at Olympia?
1: Not big stuff, no, nothing big. But um, you know, like some of the punk rock stuff, um, like I saw the Wipers in Olympia eventually. Um, a lot of the early bands, then early punk bands, would play in in both Olympia and Seattle. So you know, I was going to shows there, but. Bigger shows, no, that would be in Seattle, mostly.
0: The nickname Deaf Nephews that you and and Toshi have, where did that all come from?
1: Uh, uh, (laughs) Toshi worked with Snoop Dogg for a while on the session, and uh, Snoop calls everybody Nephew. And uh, I don't know, we thought that was really funny, and somehow we decided that that we should have a production team called the Deaf Nephews so uh yeah. i I believe somebody complained at one point that they thought we were making fun of deaf people, but I had to tell them, no, no, I really am hard of hearing
0: <laughs> well, Dale, what else can we expect from you coming up this year it's a It's a heavy workload at the beginning of the year of stuff that you've been working on, but are you working on anything that might be coming out at the end of the year or even this summer?
1: Yeah, there's some stuff. That, there's, there'll be more Melbourne stuff. Uh, like I said, there's going to be the Mel, more Melbourne TV episodes, hopefully. Hopefully, and um, if people like it and they're successful, hopefully we can keep doing that. Um, there's some other stuff I can't really talk about that we've been working on. So there's stuff for the future for sure. And we're just looking forward to getting through all this and and hope, hoping everything gets back to normal. Um, I really hope that uh, all the clubs are going to be able to survive and and that we'll be able to see each other again, hopefully really soon.
0: On, on the final note, the music business could be said that it was getting a little bit bloated before the pandemic even hit. What are some of the things that you'd like to see change when the world opens back up, from touring to recording <laughs> to even releasing? What kinds of mistakes have, have the record businesses been making for years that you would like to see get fixed right away?
1: Hmm. Uh, oh, gosh, I don't know. I'm not sure what you mean by, like, bloated. I mean, um, you know, nobody sells records anymore is the, is the big thing. And, um, um, you know, we've always ignored, pretty much ignored what other people are doing and have just done our own thing, you know, like with... Like I said, nobody sells records anymore. So that's one of the reasons why we make these special packages, packaging things that people will buy. Um, um, I don't know. You know, good question. I mean, I do have hope. I have hope when I see somebody like Bob Dylan at this point in his career actually sell his entire catalog for millions and millions and fucking millions of dollars. That to me says that music is actually worth something, you know? It's not just something that you should get for free, and hopefully people will buy stuff. That's what I'd like to see change. Buy my shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's worth, I'm worth something. I'm worth something, damn it.
0: I, I do, I, everybody <laughs> needs to go check out Ratatat. a tat it's, it's a fucking really yeah, cool man. album,
1: Thanks. and... I'm glad you like it.
0: Yeah, it's so fucking cool, and Working With God from Melbourne's 1983, everybody should pick that up, too. It's really cool stuff. Thank you again, Dale. It means a lot to me that you thank came you. on here today. And uh hopefully I see you soon and we could, and yeah, hopefully we can do this in in person the next time up up here or down in LA or somewhere. Yeah. Right on.
1: We'll say hi to all my shit kicker friends in Calgary for me, okay?
0: <laughs> I will. Thanks, Dale. All right. Thanks.
1: Well, thank you thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening. Make sure to pick up Dale Crover's solo album tat Tat. Available now, also in February. It's a heavy onslaught of Melvin's. So pick up Working With God, the new Melvin's 1983 release. And the vinyl re-releases of Hostile Ambient Takeover and Gluey Porch Treatments. This concludes our broadcast day.